Hey y'all, what if you really could change your life? If there was a way to be healthy and intentional in every area of your life? Good news, there is. And we show you how each week on All of You Hold. Hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. Every episode is an in-depth look at how to help you get unstuck, be brave in your life choices, and have a meaningful life all either from my own experiences or from the experts I interview. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Do you feel optimistic about the future? Can it happen? Yes, absolutely. Sadly, nothing brings about change like pain. Mm -hmm. Pain's almost a requirement to get significant change. Mm -hmm. And so I think the change will occur. I think pain will precede it. And I, I'm unsure what the time dream on these things mm-hmm. looks like. Nature will repair itself. There's no question. Nature will nature will be fine. We may not do so well. But not, don't you worry about that moving. Is, that is how I feel. It's like we might not be here to see it, but oh. nature's going to keep on keeping on. Y'all. And I say y'all on purpose here. (laughs) You'll see why in a second. Will Harris is on the show with us today, and we could not feel more honored. Will Harris is the CEO of White Oak Pastures, which I'm sure you have heard of. White Oak Pastures uses regenerative agriculture, including managed grazing to reduce carbon, recharge waterways, preserve habitats, and support rural economies. Will is a fourth-generation farmer on White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia. He is the father of three beautiful daughters, and Jenny is the fifth generation of farmers at White Oak Pastures. Will is so amazing. You are immediately going to fall in love with him. You're going to want him to be your best friend, your adopted dad or grandpa, like he really is, just salt of the earth. I loved this conversation that we got to have together, and Will and I met at the What Good Shall I Do conference in Fredericksburg, Texas that was put on by Force of Nature. We talked so much about regenerative agriculture, and what I love about this conversation is Will still feels hopeful that we can reverse climate change. And I honestly think that he has the skills and the strategies to do so because he has put those skills and strategies into place at White Oak Pastures. Please be sure to check out White Oak Pastures. You can use the link in the show notes to purchase Honestly, so many different things from White Oak Pastures, but beef, lamb, pork, chicken, turkey, duck, goose, and more. So without further ado, let's welcome Will Harris. Will, can you tell us a little bit about both yourself and the origin story of White Oak Pastures? Sure. Two of my favorite topics. (laughs) I am the fourth generation to manage this farm. My great-grandfather came here in 1866. He launched his farm that was about 50 miles from here in the Civil War. Started over here and uh, ran the farm. My grandfather ran the farm. My father ran the farm. I have run the farm all my life. I have three daughters, two of which are back here on the farm with their spouses. Wow. And uh, between the two of them, they've got uh, three grandbabies on the farm and two more on the <laughs> way. So there'll be the sixth generation is here. And I uh, myself, yeah, I'm so blessed. I, I never wanted to do anything but run this bar all my mm. life. When I was a kid, my friends wanted to be firemen and baseball <laughs> players and astronauts and whatever. <laughs> all I want to do is run the bar, and I've gotten to do that. And also even more fulfilling is this opportunity to change the farm from an mm. industrial model to the holistic model. How right. to watch. Yes. And that's, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, so I know you just said you're fourth generation, you've got fifth and sixth here and, and white oak pastures started in 1866. So I'm pretty sure back then at the very origins beginning, they were probably running the farm similar to how you are now. And I know part of your story is that you guys did bring in these industrial practices, modernization of farming came around. So I'm really curious about what influenced your decision to go back to the basics and back to a more traditional way of farming. Well, you, you are right. The, uh, most of what we know about when my great-grandfather, grandfather ran this farm is, is anecdotal and historical. Mm-hmm. But you know, that would have been the era in which people followed with a lot of focus, I will say all of the focus, on the land, the animals, and the community. Because mm-hmm. that's what was done. Mm-hmm. My dad was born in 1920, took over the farm post-World War II when things changed. Industrialization, commoditization, centralization. Yeah. The era of the factory farm. Mm-hmm. And he ran the farm that way all of his career. And I went to the University of Georgia, major in animal science. Go dogs. <laughs> We've made this connection. <laughs> I ran the farm very industrial for 20 years and started moving the other way. And it was purely function of being increasingly aware of the excesses of mm-hmm. that management system. I I'd I do it for 20 years. I was good at it. We made money every year doing it, but I liked it less and less. Mm. And then I started moving it back. And well, I, I really didn't start moving it towards anything. I, I quit doing things I didn't like. And yeah. Just more of the time, I quit doing things I didn't like. And that led to this system that we, we we operate farm today. And we're still changing it. We're still we're still a lot. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because I bet at that time it wasn't like regenerative agriculture. You weren't <laughs> you weren't trying to do the cool trendy thing. It was just stopping things you saw not working or causing harm or, you know, not being beneficial. And and now it's a movement. I'm very very simply, just quit doing shit I didn't like anymore. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, uh, it's amusing to me. We do these things that's been now for climate change or for, mm-hmm. you know, you can bet that 25 years ago, a 40 year old Will Harris did not walk outside and say, believe the climate has changed. <laughs> right. And I think I by that simply by changing the way I run the, that didn't happen. You know, right. I just did the things I didn't like. There were excesses in the system that I didn't mm. enjoy. Sure. Like mm-hmm. I was not moving towards anything. There was never a business model. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jay yeah. Brown's doing it in Bismarck, North Dakota, the same time I was doing it down there. We didn't know each other. Right. Know, yeah, how no, could you? <laughs> there was no internet in rural South Georgia in the mid 90s. Right. You know, you know, Right. Totally. Well, from the outside, it seems like these modernization industrial practices that we're talking about, it seems like it probably makes it cheaper and easier to run a farm. So after you made this transition, and it seems like it was kind of a slow process, one thing at a time, but now that you're fully organic and using these regenerative practices, how long did it take to turn a profit? Like talk to us about the finances and you can talk generally, obviously, but like, I know that a lot of farmers can be scared to make these changes because this is their livelihood. So how did it affect your finances? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I feel, I'm really transparent about that. So when I was farming industrially, I never had a year in which I lost money. Mm. Uh, we, uh, I was uh, blessed to have inherited a debt-free farm, which is a, mm. a heck of a boost. Right. We were, you know, we were good cattlemen. And we made a little money every year. When cattlemen were really cheap, we made a little money. When the cattle market was high, we did pretty well. I always put it back into the farm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I never 
when it did here that I did not pay into taxes. We made money. And when I started changing the practices, I, I was literally giving up the two that took cost out of production. So I was adding cost back to production. So I made less money, but we were still profitable in the early days. So it was, it was okay. I was enjoying it more and making a little bit less, but it was fine. We were still comfortable. At a point, I started realizing that if I was going to keep putting this value into my food, beef is what I was raising at the time, I had to, I had to extract it back out of the market. And I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to continue to change and change and change and not extract that value back out. And I couldn't do that in the commodity market. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started selling beef direct to consumer. Right. I guess, the, I guess at the time I didn't think it was brand building, but now I look at you and I was that's what I was doing. And I was, uh, I started doing that and this showed promise because I could get more for the beef. Selling right. as a branded product direct to consumers with certain guarantees behind it. Right. We now call label claims. Yep. I was using the excess capacity of little small family-owned slaughterhouses mm-hmm. to do my slaughter for me. And but it was what the amount they could do was very limited. Mm-hmm. So I exhausted their excess capacity. But still wasn't enough volume for me to 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 make it profitable. Sure. So at that point, we really took a plunge and built the uh, USDA inspected red meat slaughter plant. Way right. Way more than slaughter plant. But and it's know, on your property. It's on my property. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, can see it. I can see it from my house. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, and that was the first time I ever borrowed money. I was 14 years old, never borrowed a penny, and I borrowed $2.2 million. Oh, first my goodness. I first note I have signed was $2.2 million. Wow. And I've been borrowing money ever since. <laughs> And we, uh, we uh, built it, and, and I, I tell you, the timing was so lucky, not smart, so lucky. Cause I, I sold Whole Foods Market, the first pound of American grass-fed beef that they marketed as American grass-fed beef. Wow. And their demand for it was being caught traction quick, and their demand was great. And we... Uh, we we uh, it became a very profitable business for a while. Yeah, and we enjoyed it and it was great. And we invested back into the business, bought more land, uh, more animals, built built, built things. Some of I'm, 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 I'm a project guy like this. <laughs> yeah, and that lasted several years. But then the greenwashing started about mm-hmm. about 2015 ish. Big multinational corporations started greenwashing their product. Greenwashing, I know you know, is a term yes. to people that or companies that maybe don't don't raise it quite industrially. They certainly don't do what we do. Now, Absolutely, I just mean white and passive, and I'm not. I mean we. The American party, the, the, the Gabe Browns and the, the Greg Gunthorpes and the Spencer Smiths and the, you know, I can give you a list of them. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and when they do that, it devalues what we do. We can sell sure. it. So this is still pretty industrial stuff. So would an example be, you know, a national corporation saying grass fed? And that means maybe that cow took a bite of grass in its life, but it's not on the pastures. It's, you know, maybe it's grain finished, eating a lot of grain, but it had, is that like an example of what you're but referring that, to? That, that would be an example mm-hmm. of, of, you know, past uh, people's uh, chickens in its pasture. Yeah. Which, you know, it's just, it was a whole cut inside of the house, but the birds yes. don't that much. Right, you know, exactly. Uh, so they go out and when they need that photo op, Exactly. And the thing about that is, well, I mean, I 
I see these companies, let's take eggs, for example, and it's like they have traditional eggs over here. Those poor chickens are all stuffed in that house. They're not getting outside, whatever. So they're selling those for 99 cents a dozen. And then they've got their pastured eggs over here. It's the same brand. It's the same company. And they're like, these are pastured and you're paying $4.99 a dozen. I mean, as a consumer, what I think about is like, on one hand, it's like good for them for trying to raise the bar, but from a consumer standpoint, and I have really high standards, I don't want to support a company that's still going to be doing this thing over here. Like, I want to support a company like White Oak Pastures that's doing it right, not just to get a buck, but all the time with, with all their products, all their animals. You know, I mean, it's... It's so tough. <laughs> well, I mean, the consumer, I, I, I feel sorry for consumers. Yes. You know, people only got so much bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to do that level of research to, to know that you're buying what you think you're buying, but I'm, but what you do. You right. Simply do. There, you know, we started out, I was, I went around, you know, I'm going around <laughs> when we started talking about local. What we meant is know your farm. That's what yes. we meant. Yes. It, it wasn't just about local. You know, Spaniel is local to, I mean, Coca-Cola is local to Atlanta, right? Yeah, sure is. I mean, it's, it's about knowing your farmer, and it's, it's hard to do. And thank God for social media. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, you know I, I'm, I live in, I mean, I'm in Boston, Georgia right now. Boston, Georgia is uh, an hour from a little regional airport that doesn't, doesn't perform very well. It's an hour. <laughs> it's an hour from the Walmart. You can't do that much, East Mississippi. We're an hour from the Walmart, and I'm bragging when I say that. We're <laughs> uh, very remote, and uh, we literally put in cabins for lodging and a restaurant for dining and a store to bring people here to try to make it a little destination because we're so hard to get to. And right. And that is our, the only marketing we do is social media and, and invite people to come. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, you know, you. You're right. And the, and the social media is so good. Uh, while you could come to Bluffton today from Denver, which you probably right. Oh, I, I will one day. I mean, we're in Atlanta all the time, so I'm coming, Will. <laughs> now, you'll be my guest when you come. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you there's a couple of dozen people on this farm right now, somewhere, mm-hmm. kicking the tire. Mm-hmm. And if you can't come from Denver, you can look at social media and see what the tires look like and know that there's 24 people or whatever the number is. Right. Uh, so that 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 is good. It's a lot, it's a lot of trouble for the consumer, and I, I, I apologize in advance. <laughs> you got to get to know us. Right. Or you don't get tricked. Totally. Well, and honestly, too, though, well, I mean, that's, that is my daily job is researching these companies, looking into brands and being able to tell my followers and friends and family, I've done the research for you. Let me show you this list of the best organic mayonnaise brands to buy, or like these are the best beef brands to buy. And here's why here are the labels you need to look at all those things, because it takes us 30 hours a week to do that all the time. And the consumer just doesn't doesn't have time to do that. Well, I want to talk about certification. So now's a great time. You know, the, the meat and products that y'all produce at White Oak Pastures have just about every certification under the sun that you can. They're organic. They're animal welfare certified step five plus, which I I really can't find a lot of places. They're certified non-GMO, certified humane, certified grass-fed, and certified EOV, which I didn't know what that was. So I'll tell our listeners is ecological outcome verification by the Savory Institute, all these things. Well, you you have pretty much everything. So like we're saying, those certifications are super helpful for the consumer. 
I can look at your package of ground beef and see all of these things and know that those things are up to my quality standards. But I would love to hear the rancher farmer perspective from you because I know that these certifications are super hard to apply for. There's mountains of paperwork. There are all of these audits. There's everything under the sun. So they're just really hard to apply for and manage. So I would love your insight just in general. How important do you think these certifications are? And also, I want to know, how do you manage all of them? Well, that, that, that's a great question. And I, I got to tell you that yeah, I've changed uh, my opinion. So I've never been a proponent of USDA certified organic. Now, we, hmm. we fund to certify vegetables, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about a long time about that. But the first farm certification that came out, overbearing certified organic, was uh, Humane Farm Animal Care Certified Humane. Yes. When, when that came out in the early 2000s, I was elated. I said, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I quit telling people what I do and just show them my certification. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be so effective, efficient for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was, and I'm still certified in Maine. I still love Adele Douglas Ward, who's the founder of it. And we were the first fall in East Mississippi to be, to be certified by then. Wow. But it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. What happened was the, 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 there became a certification industry. Mm-hmm. And it is expensive to get all these certifications and time consuming. But the, the main problem is it, it became part of greenwashing because they they came mm. so many certifications that are super low hanging fruit, and the consumer, I can, I can hardly keep up with, and the consumer is hopelessly confused. So they go in the grocery store and they're looking and there's all these certifications. If I say, "Oh hell, it's fat and certified," I'll take this one, right? And it may be a good one, it may not. I'm probably going to be dropping certifications as time goes on hmm. because I'm, I want the people certify me themselves in the amount I spoke of earlier. Hmm. Yeah. I, and and it's, I, I really hate it for, I think a lot about these people, particularly young people are getting started. Right. And, and it is, we're big enough and we've got enough people that work here that we can, somebody can handle it. You know, we got people right. that that, and then we got enough volume, and we can afford to do it. Don't want to, we can. You know, but these young people just starting out, but you know, working their tails off twelve hours a day, and then oh yeah, I got the auditor coming Saturday. I got to get this paperwork up for them. Right. Okay, so, so I'll just I don't, I don't want to pick on anybody, but I will give you this example. I I was. You mentioned you mentioned global element partnership. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was invited to the first uh, producer mm-hmm. meeting for global element partnership they that they, they they had. It was, in, it was in Denver, as a matter of fact. Hmm. And uh, and I and I went. I thought this is going to be great because they have step one through step five, and that means that a farmer that's not currently changing can start out gradually and work their way up to it. I mean, that's great. They described it to and we saw that step right. At least uh, mm-hmm. because I've been doing I've been doing it for a long. Right. Probably we went to party first. So but when they 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 explained it that step one, two, three is transitional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just to help farmers get up to speed and you were expected to Go to step one, then step two, then step three, and be transitioning. Hmm. Oh, and that is not the way that worked. I you know, but, think but you're right. Was, <laughs> was step one now, and then step one then, and there were always there've been there've been millions of dollars spent on industrial confinement facilities to run step one prop, and the advertising has gone from really big, a big old step five to just saying gap certain. Hmm. When you walk in, and you, you said it earlier, you probably won't see much of the step one, step two. 
very little step on four five in, in most of these places. It'd be interesting to know gas went on the fire a lot lately for a lot of different things. Hmm. It'd be interesting to to see the sales figures, how much gap right. volume they do versus gap five. Right. I'm pitching you exponential. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, especially especially poultry. I can even go to a Whole Foods that's a huge proponent of putting the GAP certified on products. And I mean, there's not even an option for chicken above step three. I mean, it's that is the highest that they have in the poultry container. And so I think you're right that if it was a, this is a ladder and we're trying to go to five plus, then sure. But yeah, just staying at steps one, two, three, or even, even raising, it's almost like it's greenwashing to go over here where you couldn't be certified and do just the tiniest thing to get to step one. So you can have that on your product. Like I don't necessarily... I don't think that's beneficial if it's not going to continue up the ladder. I totally agree. Well, I think let's... it's just to go a tune for green. And mm-hmm. step one, let's, let's be sure we tell people. It's right. Low hanging fruit. Low green. hanging. Right. Yeah. And here, let me pull it up real quick. Give me a second because I just had it up earlier today. No, I don't want the USDA site because you, because you're five plus, I think. Well, well, we, we, we just, we just quit selling. I dropped that certification. I still mm-hmm. wasn't where I was five plus for a long time. And I, uh, we quit selling chicken at Whole Foods. Uh, no, no disrespect for Whole Foods, but I couldn't, I couldn't sell enough to make it work. So we, right. We, the, only way, the only way we sell chicken now is at my farm store, cooked in my restaurant, or delivered through my online store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, so okay, like back to animal welfare certified. Step two is enriched environment. Step three is outdoor access. Four is pasture raised. Five is animal centered. So that's so interesting that it could be pasture raised without being animal centered. And then five plus is entire life on farm. So that's what you're doing, which I think is is really interesting because you're one of the only farms in the United States to operate two on-farm USDA inspectored abattoirs for slaughtering red meat and poultry. So I think that's that is just next level like we're talking. That's like really 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 lovely and can you talk about why that's so beneficial for the animals? Okay. So m- most of it's from a welfare perspective, right? Uh, you know, it, uh, we uh, we slaughter uh, a thousand birds a day on a big day, and an industrial plant can slaughter a quarter of a million to half a million a day. What? So it, it's just a matter of speed. Uh, you know, our cattle uh, we slaughter uh, twenty a day. Uh, a big industrial plant, we can slaughter 400 head per hour. So things are moving incredibly quickly, hard on the animals, hard on the people. And you can go online and look at some of these industrial slaughter plants, and it's it's not a pretty picture. Right. Uh, You can come to my place and actually go in the slaughter plant and inside the kill floor, and I'm not going to tell you it's a pretty picture. But we're focused on reducing pain and panic. Right. We don't want the animal to to uh, to see it coming. Hmm. We don't want the animal to to hurt. Uh, I'm not one of those people that say they don't feel a thing. I can't say that. I don't. You know. I, I don't. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. I do know we try to make it as painless as we can, as we possibly can. Everything that lives. When we die, me and you and the sequoias, everything that lives die. And every bit of nutrition that a living creature takes in used to be a living creature. Right. If you're a plant, animal, or microbe, when you eat, you eat something that used to be alive. Mm-hmm. And in a healthy ecosystem, nothing stays dead long because you, you know, birth, growth, death, decay, birth, growth, death, decay. And part of the beauty of 
swallow on the farm is you know, it, we compost what they call a packing plant waste mm-hmm. is what we call a nutrient stream. Right. We generate nine tons a day, five days a week of packing plant waste. And we compost it and we put it back out on our farm. Mm-hmm. Birth, growth, death, decay. That's a beautiful system. It is. It is. And you're really invested in this zero waste way of life on the farm. What other examples do you have of being zero waste and using every part of everything? We have a pretty, we're pretty, you know, we have a product called Praise the Lord and one called Talent Be Thy Name. We cook all our. The French fries stuff and oh. yeah, they I bet, I bet this vegetable oh. oil, it's got to go. Tallow's yeah. yeah. the way forward. And you sell your tallow as well? And we'd sell it all that as well. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we, make some, we make candles out of, uh, we dehydrate organs. Well, we, got, we, we sell all the organs that are edible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sell out of newborn, heart, right. and all those things. But in the bill of things like tracheas and penises and esophaguses are uh, dehydrated, noses and ears for pet treats. Uh, we have a, a, we make rawhide pet cheese here on the farm. We send uh, uh, hides away for tanning. We, we can't tan hides very we, we, we try to put you away and it doesn't end very well. We send them to a, a great place in upstate New York where they do vegetable tanning and it's beautiful and we make persons and you know, things. And yeah. The compost is a, is a really big huge. thing. That's a huge, a huge operation. Uh, uh, so. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So now that we're getting into regenerative agriculture, I want you to tell us a little bit about regenerative agriculture, which, you know, you were doing it before it was called that. But once you went, you know, you had this process where you kind of went to the industrial side and, and came back from the dark side. <laughs> so what what changes did you notice in your land when when you made that switch back to regenerative farming. So first off, what what is regenerative farming and then what changes did you notice? Well I'm going to be just regenerative farming. Because I know the answer to that question and I hear people wondering about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's too simple. I mean it's just it's just too simple. So the truth is that the industrial farming breaks the cycles of nature. We humans are the first creatures, only creatures on the planet that have become powerful through technology to break the cycles of nature. Mm-hmm. And the cycles of nature are, to name a few, the energy cycle with the sun radiating every day on the earth, the water cycle with precipitation, the carbon cycle with plant plants re-photosynthesizing, the mineral cycle, the microbial cycle, the, the grazing cycle. Nitrogen cycle, there's cycles we probably don't even recognize ongoing every day. And that's nature. That's the cycle of nature. And everything is cycled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when the cycles of nature are operating optimally, they're spinning off an abundance. Mm-hmm. Now, abundance is the only way well. That's what we live on. That, all that fossil fuel in the ground, that was put down there. It's a question down there when the cycles of nature were, were operating optimally. Mm-hmm. So we broke, we broke, we figured out how to break them, at least in short term, with technology, with chemical fertilizers and pesticides and tillage and hormone implants and subterranean antibiotics, and so. And regenerative farming, regenerative land management, is simply restarting the cycles of nature. Mm-hmm. It is restarting these cycles that we broke with technology in the industrial farm model. This so very simple and. People need to get the head around that if they're going to move forward with it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, at the convention we met recently, a couple weeks ago, it was, it was Zach Bush that said that in the day that, that, that in the day of dinosaur, there was a huge 
herbivore, maybe bronchosaurus or something. Now, this just this. I mean, I've been telling this ever since I heard. It. I know it's so funny. Yeah, it was Zach Bush. It, it impacted me. I mean, yes, it so did. He said that these dinosaurs, these herbaceous dinosaurs, had bodies three or four times the size of an elephant, but a head the size of. Yeah, they know that. I mean, there's archaeological. You know, yeah, remains. Yeah. Yeah. So, can you imagine how rocking the cycles of nature were to have enough uh, uh, richness in the soil to yes. grow such nutrient dense plant that an animal could, with a head the size of a horse, harvest enough of that forage, not meat, forage, right. to, to contain a body. Three, four times a day. That I wish I could. I wish I could have seen that. And I, I wish know. I could have seen how the cycles were so optimized then versus now. And the evidence is there. All that fossil fuel under the land was that bounty of nature that was accumulating when those cycles of nature were rocking so long. Right. Just, yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do now. Y'all yeah. Never, I'll never be able to grow cows as big as well uh, sources and so on. <laughs> you but can try. You want to every day is to make the, the, the land so good that it grows plants so good that it grows animals so incredible. That's that's what we do. And that's that's regenerative farming. That is regenerative farming. I love it so much. And I mean at that What Good Shall I Do conference, they they chatted about the difference between conventional versus regenerative and conventional farming is just extractive in practice. So it's it's stripping the soil, it's taking the nutrients out. And I think a key differentiating factor of regenerative farming is that regeneration means we are Yes, we're using the nutrients in the soil and then we're putting the nutrients back in. That's that's how nature is intended to work. And and just like you're saying about the dinosaur, I mean, I'll meet someone who's not in the health and wellness world and and they ask me what I do and I tell them and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, I just think I should be able to get everything I need in my body from what I eat." And I'm like, "That is how it should work. Yes, I do agree with you that that's how it should work. But unfortunately, you know, our soil is so stripped that if you're using conventional vegetables, fruits, conventional meat, you probably are not like I'd be interested to see some lab work on this person, but you're probably not getting everything that you need. And that's the sad state of the soil in America. And that's why we have to put the nutrients back into the soil so that it's back into the plants, back into the animals. And that's really what you're doing. So beyond nutrition, what do you feel like are the benefits of regenerative agriculture and maybe more for the ecosystems, for the environment? What do you see are the benefits? You know that big dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be there. Right. You know, that, uh, you know the... It's just the echo services that the, 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 the plastics, the the the, reduction, you know, the pollution, uh, the diminished resources, the extinction of species, the you know the the harm that's been done by breaking the cycles of nature, are just we can't list them all. I mean, it's a it's a, a heck of a lot of list, but we don't even I think we don't even know what while I'm marked. Right. So there's every reason to do this right. Mm-hmm. There's every reason to get this right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be hard to get it right. You know, the the industrialization part, the whole industrialization, centralization, commoditization was done for noble purposes. You know, post-World War II, Europe was starving. There was a, a desperate need for cheap, abundant, safe, quote-unquote, food. And the the changes that my father's generation made in agriculture were wildly successful. I and mean, it it didn't just make food cheap, it made it obscenely cheap. And it right. didn't make it didn't just make food abundant, it made it wastefully abundant. Right. And uh in the safe part, you know, it 
We've eaten it. doesn't make you sick from an acute disease, but it may not be enough nutrition in it to keep you healthy. So, right. But while we're successful in moving that needle, and unfortunately, it had unintended consequences. Even worse, it was unnoticed consequences. Because it, it, mm-hmm. it's long term, right? It's like you use an herbicide one day in 1925, you're not noticing the global environmental impacts for years to come yeah, later. It took about eight years before even the early, mm-hmm. earliest people started saying so, yeah, this, right. this is a problem. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I left the conference that we met at the what good should I do conference and I basically wanted a farm. I came home and I'm like, Jess, we live in a townhome in urban Denver. We got to move. <laughs> we got to get a farm. We got a homestead. So, so we're working on it. Will. but for those of us who are not just about to go buy a farm and start farming ourselves, I'm so curious what you think. What is the best way for us civilians to support this regenerative agriculture movement? Uh, first of all, I do uh, to, to, to do what you can. I mean, speak for it. I mean, if you have yeah. a townhouse, this is pretty limited. But I mean, you got a, a tiny little yard. Yeah, we have a garden box. We have a garden box. So we're starting. We're about to build another one. So it's we're doing something. It's food you can produce in tiny little right. area if, it, if it's all operating optimally. But the, but the, the, the broader answer to your question is you've got to find a farmer or some farmers that whose system you believe in, who are doing yeah. it the way you want it done. You know, uh, Wendell Berry says something effect that you vote your food dollar. Yeah, yes. said it, but this movement will work or not work based on consumer education. Well, based on consumer support. Consumer support comes from right. consumer education. So I can right. say what you do. It requires supporting and, and, and we're doing pretty good. You know, we because we were early on we have a, a a good customer base in an ungrateful one. But there's so many that want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, shopping with your dollar, I feel like, is if you're not going to become a regenerative agriculture activist, <laughs> then I do think shopping with your dollar. So either white oak pastures or locally, like I came back from that conference, Will, and I'm like, okay, I want raw milk and I'm going to find someone near me. I want to buy eggs from someone near me. I want to meet my farmers, but not only that, but I want my children to be involved. So I've found all of these places where we can volunteer our time. So if it's not our own farm, it's, can you be, and and one of the things too, that I learned from the conference is I want to be involved in the process. So for now, right now, that means for us going to the farm. I want my children to understand where their food comes from. And two, like, I feel like we talked about death a lot at that conference, and it actually changed my life being more okay with death because it feels like, you know, you and all these other farmers and ranchers who were there understand the circle of life, understand that even us, we get to go back to the earth to nurture future generations, right? And so understanding that cycle more. So first step would be meeting local farmers, buying those products, buying from white oak pastures, and then how can you actually get involved with your time to meet these people and help these people? I think it's so good. Well, I feel like in the world of climate change, it can be really doom and gloom. So I'm just curious, since you're in the thick of it, you've seen your land regenerate. Do you still think we can turn the ship around? (laughs) And do you feel optimistic about the future? Can it happen? Yes, absolutely. Sadly, nothing brings about change like pain. Mm-hmm. Pain is almost a requirement to get significant change. Mm-hmm. And so I think the change will occur. I think pain will precede it. And I, I'm unsure what the time frame of these things mm-hmm. looks like. Nature will repair itself. There's no question. Nature will, nature will be fine. We may not do so well. But don't you worry about that is, 
That is how I feel. It's like we might not be here to see it, but nature's going to keep on keeping on. But I do think that so many things can be done. The forces that are in opposition, the economic forces that are in opposition to these changes are great. You know, literally trillions of dollars are made in the existing food, pharmaceutical mm-hmm. complex that controls so much uh, politics and is such a loud voice in speaking to consumers. And so I don't, I don't think this is going to be easy. I think it's going to be a lot worse when it's better. Right. Think, you know, if you look at, you know, I'm, I'm, I was born in 1954. And I, I was an outside kid. And I was raised knowing that there's wilderness and wouldn't have been in part of that wilderness. Like fast forward 60 or so years, you know, there's not any wilderness left. Mm-hmm. There might be a little pocket in the last or something, but in in a century, we have eliminated wilderness. Hmm. I think we lost something we did. And I think that in a much shorter period of time, we will eliminate rural. You know, we have gone from the earth being a wilderness to the earth having no wilderness, but being rural. And I think, you know, it would take a very short period of time for us to burn through that one. Right. And the other will be whatever comes next, uh, urban, metropolitan, cosmopolitan, whatever all that is. And those are great losses, and it's increasingly breaking those cycles of nature that's where the abundance comes from. And that's living on credit. Yes. And I think that's where we are. I think we're not. As a civilization, we're not going backwards from that. We still, no. individuals are, but the civilization is still curdling in that direction at an incredible rate of speed. Breakneck speed. And it's crazy because, you know, you're mentioning the pains that we're going to have to experience in order to make lasting change. And it's crazy because I also think that we're a little jaded, right? Like I ask my mom all the time, do you remember both my parents? I asked them, like, do you remember these tsunamis? Do you remember these crazy wildfires? Do you remember these floods? You know, all these things that are happening that are in response to climate change. And my parents are like, no, I don't remember this. And is it globalization that we hear about everything? Is it? But no, it's not. It's actually worse. But we kind of just get used to these global disasters instead of allowing that to be these pains that make us have lasting change. And additionally, too, I really hope that we have people like you, all of the people at the forefront of this activism movement, I hope we can get to government to change subsidies. If we continue subsidizing corn and soy and these cheap products, like I hope that we can incentivize farmers to make the switch to regenerative agriculture, farmers to change to, you know, really humane practices. Like that's what we need to be incentivizing. Well, you, I mean, you're exactly right. And, and, and don't forget that it, that problem is exacerbated by the fact that, oh, yeah, you're lied to. Mm-hmm. I mean, cat, cattle are destroying the environment. Right. That is, that is such junk science. And, and everybody on the planet has been exposed to it in the last decade or so. Right. And the huge percent, believe it now, is, is industrial cattle production. Yes. Adverse to climate change. Yes. Absolutely. And that's the distinction that needs to be made because I saw on your website, you, with, with the carbon sequestration from your healthy soil, you're in a net negative for carbon emissions. And so the conversation doesn't need to be cattle or no cattle. It needs to be, how are we raising this cattle? Because they are a critical part of a healthy ecosystem. All of these ruminants, you know, we've got pigs and hogs and cattle and all these things. All these animals are absolutely critical, not only for our health, I personally think, but also to regenerate the land. And that's, I think, the missing link. That's the missing link that people don't understand. As an expert. 
regenerative land management over a lot of acres over 25 years. I can tell, again, as an expert, you cannot, you cannot cost-effectively regenerate a degraded landscape without animal impact. Mm-hmm. It can be done. Can be done. Bill Gaines or Lake Moose or somebody do it a little, yeah, a little bit. But on a broad continental scale, which is that's the task. That's what we're hoping for, right. That's what I it cannot be done while I'm working. Right. I'm working is part of the evolution. Mm-hmm. Not revolution, the evolution. And right. to say, well, we're going to re-evolve it. We're going to take this one thing out, which I don't impact. It's like saying, I'm going to cook this cake, but I'm not going to put the sugar in it. But I expect it to be the same cake. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they were meant to be here for sure. Well, you've given us hope, Will. So I asked two two questions of everybody. I feel like we could talk for another three hours, but your time is valuable here. So at the end of your life, when you're looking back, let's give you 60 more years. (laughs) What will a successful life look like to you? You know, I want my children to be proud of me. Hmm. I love that. And I'm sure they already are. So mission accomplished. <laughs> so what is something in your life that recently you feel like you've been really intentional about? And then what's something that moving forward you would like to be more intentional about? I'm a one trick pony, and this is my trick. And I've been very intentional about it and very focused on it. And it's my my legacy and my heritage my vocation and advocation what i do yeah love it amazing well where can people connect with you it's just it's white oak pastures on instagram they are i will do that yes we are <laughs> you are like facebook and all that stuff and the website so whiteoakpastures.com all your products are there she does all of our social media stuff she does a good job. She does. But, uh, but I got all well, those addresses. <laughs> okay. We will put we will put everything in the show notes so people can click through and find you there. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Will. You are a delight. Well, I enjoy it, girl. And you come when you when you come to Jordan, come see me. I'm coming to see you. <laughs> you you, you were a guest as long as you stay. Perfect. Uh, I will think. Yes. So, uh, and then I'm recruiting a little bit here, but we need more to get close to nature. So yes. we've got an intern program that you really ought to look at. It's a you know, three-month program, and people like you, professional, young, educated, passionate people <laughs> that, that you know, want to get it done. Side, you know, yes. young, we, we take six per quarter, four times a year. And, uh, yeah, and you take it, families? Because I've got two kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we do. We got to discuss housing. We do work it out. Yeah. We work out. Okay, sounds good. We'll have to chat more. Well, thank you so much for being here. Enjoy it. Will, thank you so much for being on the show today. We appreciate so much your wisdom and experience with regenerative agriculture that you shared with us and you share with the world. It's so encouraging to me that White Oak Pastures made the switch to industrial practices and then was able to switch back. It really gives me so much hope that we can turn around corporate agriculture in the United States. Please be sure to check out all of the amazing products at White Oak Pastures and you can find that link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. 